Hey, this is uh, Grant's interest rate observer of the air. Current yield, we call it. I'm uh, Jim Grant himself. And uh, with me, as usual, is the cast, including Eric Whitehead at the control panel, the great Evan Lorenz, who is the deputy editor of Grant's, and uh, my son, Phil Grant, who edits almost daily Grant's. And, uh, oh, yes, we have a, a special guest today, and his name is Donut Shorts. Well, that's not the name of the birth certificate, but we are honoring the request of our money managing guest to uh, be retain his anonymity, not because of anything uh, licentious or uh, suspicious in any way, but because uh, some of the topics are just a little bit sensitive, having to do with positioning and with uh, uh, getting a short run by the stupid sell side, which wouldn't know a value if it saw it and looked in the eye. I says, sorry, I'm Mr. Donut Shorts. I'm all mentioning about these things. It's Monday. Yeah. So, um, uh, we're we, because this is kind of an informal gathering. We have known our guest for a long time. We can attest to his uh, first of all his professional competence and indeed success, and uh, also to his fidelity to the principles of uh, of buying low and selling high, or of si- selling high and buying low. So, donut welcome. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be chatting with you. So, uh, if, uh, I don't know. I'm going to ask something to begin with. I mean, uh, people uh, buzz on about this uh, this thing, this narrative called an everything bubble. I don't know, uh, donut. Do you see an everything bubble, or is it a bit more selective than this? Uh, I guess I would I would lean towards the everything bubble. I think you know we've we've got a monetary environment in which you know money and capital is being created at a at a very rapid uh, pace that kind of eventually finds its way into every nook and cranny of the uh, of the capital markets and more or less every uh, every industry out there. So um, I think you know there's probably some areas where it's more prevalent than others and things are more distorted than others. But uh, but yeah. I, so, donut shorts. With with that in mind, uh, it's an everything bubble. We're also in month 124 of the longest business expansion in U.S. history. H- how do you position yourself for this? H- how do you, first of all, get uh, longs in that might make you money, and shorts to protect you from the downside? On the short side, we've you know we've tried to focus on on things that are that are basically out of borrowing capacity, um, which you know is, is a bit of a moving target. But um, now, can you, know, you that, can, can that, you ex- uh, can you explain that to our lay listeners? What does that mean, out of borrowing capacity? Well, essentially, either covenants if they have any, of course, ah, most people okay. don't have a lot of uh, okay. these days. And it's typically uh, some kind of senior borrowing uh, capacity that they're uh, that they're running out of. Uh, and, and, you know, companies that are sufficiently distressed that um, people won't lend to them on, a, on an unsecured basis any longer. And they've got some, you know, some inherent problem in the, in the business where they've got deteriorating um, fundamental economics. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Well, you know, I mean, the um, the mall business is one that, you know, I've, I've tweeted a lot about. So that would be uh, one example. Or, uh, you know, there's certain parts of the farm business today that have litigation exposure or, you know, have products under uh, competitive uh, assaults. Uh, that would be, you know, another another example. Some parts of the telecom business would be, you know, would be another another example where either uh, technological uh, changes or regulatory changes are affecting, you know, certain uh, certain segments of the business. Uh, tell us, uh, money managing guest known as Donut Shorts. Tell us whether you see uh, the short side as a a profit opportunity. Is it in itself, or is it a hedge? Are you principally long, and are you finding long opportunities? You know, we view it, uh, I think we view it both ways, as both the short side is both, you know, a profit-making and a, um, and a, and a hedging vehicle. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly gotten more difficult as, uh, you know, as time has gone on, both, uh, both because you're, you know, you're fighting this, uh, this wave of, uh, of monetary um, 
beneficence out there, as well as the fact that things seem to get crowded uh, a lot more quickly than they uh, than they used to. So, but I think it's I think you can still point to examples of of where it's profitable and where it does provide it does provide a hedge. Um, and uh, you know, on the long side, you know, the economy is still. Uh, is still growing, and there's still, you know, a fair level of innovation, and productivity is picked up. So I think there are still opportunities on the long side, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, that nothing is uh, nothing is cheap these days. Without giving away too much of your background, you've been you've pro- prospered through more than one cycle. When you look at your net exposure now, which is basically your your longs minus your shorts, how what what is your net, and how is it compared over time? Are you more conservatively positioned than you have in the past? We're a little more conservatively positioned than we were, say, at the start of the year, and I think that reflects. A view that the there's more risk in the economy now than there was say you know a year ago or ten months ago. But we're you know we're not you know we're not nearly as as defensively positioned say as we were in in uh, 2007 for example. The uh, the Schiller cyclical or cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio is now at like 29, uh, which is the highest level outside the year you know what and the dot com boom. So uh, you mentioned that uh, there are things to do. Where do you find them? Be more specific if you could be. Uh, what industries, indeed, we would like a name or two if you were in a mood to vouchsafe one. One thing we are long, which is which may not exactly fit what you're what you're looking for, but we're we're long gold, which is a position we've had for a while, uh, and which is you know not generated much return for. Um, for several years, but has recently done better. And I think that reflects the fact that we've got negative real rates out there and probably the prospect for, for more of that, uh, more of that to come. So that's, uh, that's one thing that we are, that we are long. Um, we're long. One thing that we're long is a company called Seaboard, which is a play on, on the pork marketplace. There's the, uh, Swine flu going on in China at the moment, uh, and there are some. If you kind of hunt around, you can see um, what's happened to the to the Chinese uh, hog population and what's happened to uh, prices, particularly in the last say in the last two three months. So we think that uh, they could be a beneficiary of that going forward. Um, in your uh, nom de Twitter, uh, Donut Shorts, which is how we're referring to you now, you do some of the best job of anyone I've seen out there of kind of cataloging all the problems that are happening in various aspects of real estate. And one thing that really struck me is just about every part of New York real estate seems to have a problem. You've noticed the extreme glut of empty storefronts in uh, in kind of the tonier parts of Manhattan. You've noted that there's a giant glut of luxury condos. I think I saw a New York Times article that said something like two-fifths of all luxury condos built in the last eight years are vacant. And you've also noted um, the myriad problems at WeWork, which is one of the largest tenants in the city. Now, historically, people have paid up to gain exposure to Manhattan real estate thinking that it's less cyclical and it's just a better, you know, place than say, I don't know, Salt Lake City or places where it's easier to build. Also, it's a destination for flight capital. Destination for flight capital. Um, If we do have an economic downturn, and again, not predicting one, might Manhattan disappoint all the people who paid really fancy cap rates for various properties? Yeah, I think there's definitely the possibility of that. I mean, I think it's probably already disappointed some people, particularly if they're if they invested in retail properties in in Manhattan or or as you say in the very high end residential condos that were you know say along 57th Street that were built in the last few years. So I you know I think you had in, in a way kind of a you know each market has its own influences, but for some of these you had kind of a perfect storm. You know the coastal markets were the ones that after the crisis that investors went to first uh, in their search for basically bond substitutes as rates were were pushed down and you know the the luxury uh, condo market in particular, I think, got hit by a, a combination of de Blasio changing the um, uh, the tax inducements for uh, 
for building condos. So the old one was was due to expire, and uh, they had not yet, you know, detailed what they were going to do, what they were going to have to replace that. So everybody that had a project that was kind of in the pipeline decided to, you know, rush ahead and build those at once. So that created a kind of a um, you know, an unnatural supply bump. And at the same time that that happened, you had both the dollar get stronger and, uh, you know, an increasing focus on uh, capital flight and money laundering. And the Treasury Department implemented regulations that forced people to reveal the, you know, the ultimate buyers of properties that couldn't use nominee entities like LLCs to own and purchase real estate. So I think those things kind of converged at once on the um, on the residential, the high-end residential uh, marketplace, as well as, uh, you know, SALT. The SALT tax changes uh, came, you know, soon thereafter, which took a lot of certainly some, you know, very high-end earners uh, out of New York to places like Florida. So so that's there have been, you know, kind of several forces that have converged on those properties at once. And, the you know, the, on the retail side, that's what's happened, I think, is a function of both, yes. you know, the loss of share to, to online retailing as well as the dollar, the increase in the dollar for tourism. And a lot of these places, particularly along places like the corridors, like Fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue, were basically these flagship stores that people built were viewed as, in many ways, brand-built exercises to, um, you know, expose a brand to a very large international uh, international audience. And uh, so, you know, those things have both have both hit those those spaces. And, and the whole notion of a flagship store is now is something that I think most brands are now pulling pulling back from and either, you know, not building them at all or downsizing their their presence in New York, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite dramatically. So, so those things have hit those those spaces. A lot of the vacancies, I think, are driven by the fact that the landlords have capitalized buildings back in 2013, 14, 15, when rents were much higher. And if they had to re-rent uh, the spaces today at the current rental rates, given the the amount of debt that they have on the properties, uh, they probably lose them when it comes time to uh, to refinance them when the hey, loans who, are due, which who, usually who, typically who are the lenders? Loan. Who owns the mortgages? Yeah, so it's a combination. Um, there's there are some in the there are some in the CMBS market. There are you know some held by banks. Uh, there are some held by private debt funds, and it, you know we haven't. You know, SL Green owned a piece of mezzanine debt in, in one of the uh, one of the properties down in Soho that they recently foreclosed on. They talked on, talked about that in a conference call or two ago. And there are uh, Joe Sitt, who runs Thor Equities, has had several of his, and he was he kind of top ticked the market back in 13 and 14, and he's had several in the CMBS marketplace that have uh, have gone into special servicing that are probably you know likely to be uh, auctioned off not too far down the road. Um, so we. We may get some, you know, we may get some repricing events. Are any of the uh, New York centric banks like uh, Signature Bank have particularly heavy exposures to commercial real estate in the in the city? Well, they definitely have exposure to commercial real estate. Probably, I, I think Signature probably has more exposure to to residential uh, multifamily. Most, I think, I think most likely. Although, you know, a number of the smaller uh, multifamily properties have have commercial space at the bottom, uh, which I think is a kind of a, a risk that. You know, a lot of people have lost uh, have glossed over. So, depending on again the neighborhood that you're in, you know, there may be there may be risk to the uh, to the income stream on those uh, on those loans as those uh, 
those retail spaces reprice in the rental market. Hey, um, everyone, uh, Mr. Donut Shorts, everyone seems to have an opinion on interest rates. In that respect, I guess, a little like the weather. And there is uh, one school that says uh, that uh, we are in America, we're still positive. We still offer extraordinarily, po actually positive yields. It's amazing. We have like a 2% yield on something. Yeah, Indeed. above zero. Whereas in the rest of the world, the $15 trillion worth of the world, uh, there are negative nominal yields. And they say, continuing this line of observation and argument that uh, either we come down or they come up in yield and they're not coming up. Ergo, our yields are going to collapse now with all that windy preface. Do you have a view on, on the bond market, on pure rates? And if you consider these rates to be too low or even bubblish, have you considered uh, making a statement by shorting bonds? So I, I think the the path of least resistance is probably lower on rates um, for us, just just purely based on what's going on in in the rest of the rest of the world, uh, as well as the fact that global GDP seems to be you know seems to be slowing in aggregate. And you know the Fed's posture, while maybe a little bit uncertain, seems to be you know seems to be towards more uh, towards more easing. So I would expect that that rates will probably you know continue to drift to drift lower. But we don't have any we haven't made any bets. Uh, in that regard. But, it, you know, it, I think at the end of the day, you know, the powers that be will want to hold on to their hold on to their jobs, so to speak. And, you know, will throw everything they have into the, you know, in the breach uh, in order to hold on to their jobs. And um, the catechism among, you know, the monetary establishment, as you have well documented, uh, seems to be even more is better as far as, you know, negative rates go. So, um, I, I don't see that pressure abating, you know, anytime soon. It doesn't seem well. Abating. The world economy will be what it is, but uh, QuickBooks certainly, uh, the ecosystem business people can help us uh, make what is a little bit bad uh, a lot better. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know that I'm always on the lookout for ways to help you improve your business. And uh, you know, if you're self-employed, as some of us are at this microphone, you are constantly on the prowl for that that little edge, and you want to avoid the headaches. You want to avoid. Uh, expense. So well, what do you do? Well, you look for QuickBooks. Uh, you manage your entire workflow from the first estimate to the final payment using Intuit QuickBooks. Now it says here to discuss how using QuickBooks saves you time, money, and hassles. All right, we'll do that. For example, there's the accountant that doesn't come in anymore. What's his name? Uh, we forgot already. Uh, but that is, uh, we, we miss him, but we don't miss paying him. Uh, they're the 1099s that uh, we can, uh, that help us keep track of all sorts of miscellaneous income, that which we have and that which we are aspiring to receive. And uh, QuickBooks will help you make direct payments. Yeah, you can just pay your bills from QuickBooks. So this is a one-stop shop situation. You won't have to learn how to use thousands of tools and software. Intuit QuickBooks does it all. It's the only one you need. Having all the tools you need in one place helps you make more people more productive. Yeah, that's what it says. Okay, easy to use. You can work smarter, not harder, thanks to how easy it is to use Intuit QuickBooks. Okay, call to action. Give Intuit QuickBooks a try and you're going to love it as much as I do. Learn more about uh, smarter business tools at intuit.me slash grant. That's intuit.me, M-E slash grant. We use it here at Grants and you should use it too, ladies and gentlemen. QuickBooks. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> Let us resume. Uh, Evan, do you have something for our uh, uh, Mr. Shorts, uh, you said that you don't specifically have a, a rate bid on, but you said uh, at the beginning that shorts are tilted towards dead men walking, companies who have overlevered balance sheets. W what is the risk to, I guess, corporate America if rates do rise, just given how much leverage uh, companies have taken on this cycle? I think that's a 
a real, I think that's a real risk. And I think in part, that's why I think we had kind of the, we don't, we, I guess we didn't call it a taper tantrum last year, but, but something kind of akin to that where the, you know, when the Fed started to reduce it, its balance sheet, um, that created all kinds of uh, worry and consternation amongst uh, amongst people out there, and I think that reflects the fact that there's a lot more leverage in the you know in the system, both at the corporate level, I think, as well as at the uh, at the consumer level. The Wall Street Journal did a big story on on car loans uh, last week, which I think is another kind of manifestation of of the of the monetary environment that that we're in. So so I think that's a you know that's a real that's a real concern, and you know, but also will probably you know to the extent that the economy. Does does heat up down the road, will probably mitigate interest rate increases because the um, the economy has, you know, the global economy has much less resiliency in it, uh, given the amount of leverage that it's carrying. Um, hey, what do you make of uh, political risk? The Journal says editorially that uh, with Trump evidently wounded and Elizabeth Warren coming on strong, that we are staring a more or less uh, socialist regime square in the face. Uh, do you buy the premise? And if you do, how do you position yourself for the possible outcome? Probably underpriced at the moment. Um, I, I guess as we kind of get into the next year and the spring and the you know and the primaries unfold, that that may uh, you know there may be some repricing on that. I guess part of it depends on what your view of you know the congressional elections uh, looks like and if the you know if the uh, uh, Republicans uh, can hang on. Uh, Mr. Schwartz, I think what uh, Jim is asking is if socialism really is our future, how do you go along other people's money? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, th- I, I, meant, I meant to say uh, that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> I think I think there are certain um, you know certain industries like healthcare, like like energy, oil and gas. You know, some of the people that run you know say private prisons, that kind of thing, would be probably have pretty big targets painted on their back in a um, you know in either a Warren administration or in a in a much more in a much more socialist uh, environment, if you will. So um, I, I think I think you probably want to rethink your you know your industry weightings in the event that that came to came to pass. In, in terms of energy, uh, it is my understanding that you are active in that sector, hopefully short. How do you view, I guess, the gives and takes there? Uh, on the one hand, IHS market now says discoveries are the lowest level they've been in 70 years. And in as much as we are producing more electronic vehicles, we still have a lot of uh, internal combustion engines, and it seems like uh, we will have demand for oil for some time now. Nonetheless, um, Brent, WTI continue to plumb, um, you know, it's not those, but they're, they're, they're sinking. What's your view on energy and how to play it? Yeah, I think it's going, you know, it's going through a potentially an inflection point. I mean, it seems like the um, uh, the flow of capital into the business is now um, has been constrained to some kind of a critical uh, level, and um, you know we've had a series of uh, discoveries in the in the U.S. and and capital has kind of you know uh, initially chased gas and. It, Chased various basins around the country, and then it switched to oil. And you know, the returns in all those in all those fields and, and different product groups got got competed away essentially. And after you know, basically a decade of not returning any capital to the shareholders in the aggregate, um, I, you know, people are now I think finally saying, okay, where's the beef? Where you know, what's the what's the return? What's the yield in all of, in all of this? So you know, of course, it remains to be seen exactly how it'll play out. But it appears that the um, uh, you know, money available to the Permian is, is finally being uh, being crimped. Uh, some of the assumptions that people were making about the density of wells that could be drilled, as well as uh, what the decline curves on those wells might you know might ultimately be, are being are being challenged as well. So you know, at least in the U.S., we may be at a point where 
supply growth uh, is either ending or, you know, is, is going to move forward at a much, much slower rate than it has in the past. You know, my, my crystal ball about the rest of the world isn't as, um, you know, is, isn't as strong, but clearly a lot of the traditional sources of growth like offshore have been capital starved for, uh, for quite a while. There are a lot of political entities that are, you know, dependent for their political survival on pumping a lot of oil. So I think there's still a lot of incentive for people to, to produce as much as they can in order to kind of keep the, the natives from getting restless, so to speak. But but I, I think, you know, we appear to be at some kind of a tipping point in terms of the amount of capital that's available to the to the industry. And so, you know, we may be at a point where supply and demand, I don't think it's around the corner, but perhaps in a year or two, you know, comes back in a balance and, and it may be a more supportive environment for, for oil prices and ultimately uh, investment. But it's still, you know, it still looks a little early to me. You know, having said that, um, it's interesting to see, you know, Sam Zell decide that, uh, you know, it's time to invest in the oil business, which uh, I don't know if he's even done that before. If he has, it's probably been a while. So um, that's that's kind of an interesting uh, marker out there. He's good company, Sam Zell. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. We spoke uh, long ago, Mr. Donut Shorts, about the taxi business. And I see the New York Times is uh, running a, a series of stories on the uh, on how New Yorkers have corrupted the finance and the operating uh, economics of the taxi business, which brings us to Uber. Have you got a position in Uber? We're short a little bit of Uber. It's it's a small uh, it's a small position. Uh, but I you know I think the um, notwithstanding their their success in in decimating the taxi business, I, you know I I think that the Again, we're kind of still looking for where are the returns um, in that business, and in particular, I think the um, the money that they have to spend to to attract new drivers is really challenging the economics of the of the business. And it's a little surprising that um, you know what is essentially a duopoly hasn't been able to um, right. to produce you know better margins, better uh, and better profits in the. Uh, in the space, and perhaps that will, you know, that will happen at some point. But there's no evidence at this point that they'll that they'll do that. And uh, you know, I think a lot of these companies, and and you know, WeWork is probably the ultimate example of that. But have all grown up with cultures where money was essentially viewed as free, or you know, there was no capital constraint, and the need to, you know, and the need to uh, generate profits was, you know, was something they get to way down the road. And, you know, you wonder how many of those cultures will be able to really pivot effectively to um, to an environment in which they actually have to, you know, deliver cash at the end of the day. Yeah, it seems uh, awfully unfair. These uh, environmentally correct and uh, idealistic entrepreneurs ought to uh, stoop to a, make a gap profit. But I guess we can just... How, how pedestrian, right? Yeah. Well, Mr. Donut Shorts, this has been uh, very interesting indeed. You had now... Uh, before we uh, part company, you have a, a, a what, what's this expression on Wall Street? High conviction. When people say, "What's your favorite idea? What's your best idea?" I say, "Well, ask me in two years, and I can I can tell you what was the best idea as it is now. I can tell you my most vehement idea, but the best idea is probably the least vehement in some way." Um, do you have a uh, a favorite, long or short? Well, one that we've added recently is is SoftBank on the short side, um, and I you know I think that the um, they will struggle to see any return on the vision fund uh, as a result of the investments that they they have in the in the fund, as well as the structure of the fund itself, which essentially you know puts leverage above with a with a guaranteed or preferred return above their uh, above their position, and in which they've you know essentially force fed money into um, unicorn and other and other early stage companies at I think at rates far beyond what they could productively employ, and that that seems to me to be destined to end in to end in tears. 
So not, but not, not for the, the not for the that, not for the shorts though, right? Not for the shorts, no. Uh, not to mention the fact that the parent company is quite levered. So um, that's a that's a that's a short position that we've added recently, which I think um, probably has room to run on the downside. Now, is that is that to, uh, is it easy to borrow those shares? And in general, is uh, is the is the operational side of the short selling business in uh, in an easy way? Can you borrow the shares you want to sell short? So we put our position on in Tokyo. Um, there there are. ADRs that trade the trade here, which which we have not been able to borrow, and you know they're not as liquid as the as the shares in Tokyo. But um, but borrowing those uh, those shares has not been a problem in Japan today. One last question for you, just given your focus on SoftBank and again the fact that you do such a great job of cataloging what's going on in real estate. WeWork is probably SoftBank's biggest investee. It's also probably its biggest problem. Um, WeWork is also one of the largest tenants in both New York and uh, London. Are there any non-obvious ways to play? I guess a calamity with WeWork, which probably is the firm that has engaged in the greatest liquidity transformation of the cycle by taking very, very short-term leases from customers, but agreeing to very, very long-term leases for the buildings it uh, occupies. You know, I, I'm not, I, I don't think the fallout from WeWork is going to be cataclysmic, let's, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, as, as a, there's a bit of a stock versus flow distinction, I think, to make as a, as a, as a fraction of the, of the stock of leased office space in those two markets, they're still they're still quite small, um, and so I think ultimately, you know, the the market will probably absorb that, um, and you know, an increasing number of their tenants now are are enterprise tenants who have the ability to, you know, their credit tenants that can that can lease on their own. So to the extent that WeWork is not there to offer them space and they're they're continuing to grow and need more space, they will probably, you know, just just go and lease directly. You may see some net reduction in demand perhaps among the very smallest uh, tenants who may not be, you know, credit worthy and may go back to working out of the neighborhood Starbucks or their or their apartment instead of a, a a WeWork space, and there probably will be some. They they were a, a fairly substantial portion of the office lease, office space leased in the last year or two in say in New York and and London. So so there may be some near term pressure on on leasing rates as they exit the market. But you know as a as a fraction of the total book of business of a you know of a big landlord, it probably won't have you know, a, a dramatic impact. You know, there'll be some buildings, there are some buildings that are either completely or largely leased to, to WeWork. And so they may find, them, find themselves without a tenant that's paying rent all of a sudden. So there may be some loans that go bad. So there may be some ways to play it through the banks. But um, to, to date, we haven't been able to identify a bank with, you know, with tremendous exposure to WeWork. I mean, obviously, JP Morgan, probably from a reputational standpoint, has some exposure. But Probably not from, okay. you know, a total balance sheet exposure. Okay. Well, Mr. Donut Shorts, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And uh, on behalf of the entire current yield, the board is now team, right? Everyone's got a team? Squad. Squad. Well, uh, well, I'm thinking that the, the, the inside team, not the, not, the, not the, you know, the traveling team, not the squad that plays only home games. It's the team. Anyway, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. And we will talk to you again soon. 